Hello, folks. Welcome along to Soundtracking with me, Edith Bowman, my weekly podcast where I dive into the wonderful, creative minds of people who are involved in either film, TV or music. And we talk about the wonderful and beautiful and unique relationship that music and the moving image has. I love doing this podcast and I'm sure you're bored of me wanging on about it from week to week. But thank you so much for choosing to um, join me which is a real joy. I really appreciate every single one of you who join me. Uh, and this is episode 301. Woohoo! Thanks for all the uh, celebration and well wishes after our 300th episode last week with the fabulous Joachim Trier, the writer and director of The Fantastic Worst Person in the World. If you still haven't seen it, then it's still in some cinemas. Go and see it. It's a phenomenal film. One of my films of the last decade, I would say. Um, so I hope you enjoy it. Please do. If I encourage one person to go along to the cinema to watch a, a little independent film, then it's only a good thing, I think. Um, anyway, thank you very much for joining me. It's great to have you with us. And um, our latest guest on Soundtracking is a returning composer who has fast become one of the hardest working and most sought after talents in the business. Pinner Toprak's latest effort can be heard on the light-hearted jungle romp Oh, I'm there. Light-hearted jungle romp. Wouldn't we all like one of those? The Lost City. Uh, but she's also got a number of exciting projects in the pipeline and is fresh from conducting Billie Eilish and Phineas's performance of No Time to Die at the Oscars. The Oscar-winning No Time to Die. And it seems like the perfect place to begin with a little extract from that absolutely stunning rendition. Even better now. How have oh, you been? I'm great, thank you. I was. I'm so sorry I missed you in person because you were in town, weren't you? You were up at air. Were you at air? Yes, oh. I was. Isn't it lovely? All the renovations. Oh my god, it looks <laughs> incredible. I mean, it always sounds incredible, and I mean, it's just it was so nice to be there for two weeks. Oh, amazing! Yeah, I was just there the other day actually, and it's the first time I've been back since lockdown and it's so such a happy place because obviously there was a moment there where it was in danger the great thing is is that it's it's kind of had this um 
this kind of investment and it's been kind of yet yeah, it's so it's so it makes me so happy that the people see and appreciate how important a place it is oh it absolutely is it's just so so magical yeah <laughs> thank you for your time Pinar. it's so great yeah. to welcome you back and I've got to say massive congratulations for the most beautiful performance at the Oscars with Billy and and, uh, and Phineas it stopped me in my tracks it was such a beautiful rendition of that song. Congratulations. Thank you. Yes, we had fun. <laughs> we had fun. That was really an incredible experience, for real. Do you mind me asking how that, how that kind of came about and what it involves for you in terms of leading up to the day and then, you know, that, what it feels like to be on that stage? Um, Adam Blackstone is the, uh, the music director for the Oscars this year. He's, uh, he's a friend and he reached out to me not too long ago actually it was kind of last minute <laughs> a little over a week before the performance he's like no hey, when it come conduct for I'm like yeah <laughs> and um that was basically it I mean two days later we were at Capitol um recording the track first and um then a few days later we had our first rehearsal and then the weekend so it was it was a whirlwind wow was lovely experience amazing experience they've obviously got a really tight relationship it's lovely to watch them kind of you know sort of just support each other throughout this and that I love the kind of the moment when she I mean she's just so fantastic and sort of as he was I loved you could hear Phineas clapping her performance you know in terms of how wonderful it was I think it's so it's so personable it's so lovely to see that they are they kind of have this real beautiful genuine love and support for each other that was the thing that that really touched my soul. I, I have two kids, so I was actually telling them, you know, it's so great to hear how they talk to each other. <laughs> so much respect. I'm like, hint, hint, hint. <laughs> Any tips? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, totally. I wanted to pass it on to my two boys as well, going, look, they're brother and sister. Look how well they get on and how much they support each other. It's like, yeah. <laughs> um, listen, I'm very excited about The Lost City. I, I'm, I'm such a fan of of Sandra. I just think that listen, anything she sort of throws her weight to, or kind of will, will, will kind of be, and I'm there to watch it. I never get the chance to ask a composer this as well. In terms of, tell me about the film. Tell me about your interpretation of the Lost City and what because the score is gorgeous. I don't know. It really reminds me of when I first was allowed to go to the cinema without my mum and dad with my friends to watch things like. Indiana Jones and Temple of Doom and it had this these kind of beautiful kind of grand exciting uh adventureful scores um, and that's what it really sort of transported me back to from because I haven't seen the film but I've heard the score and oh, it's gorgeous thank you well that makes me very happy because that was actually one of the inspirations that's for sure um, no I love yeah. that <laughs> yeah <laughs>
so I, I came across the film. Um, I, I knew Sandy from another film that actually we didn't end up working together on that film, but we had met prior. Mm. And then uh, with Paramount, I've known the Paramount folks for quite some time. We were trying to find the right project to work on together. So this came together and then they sent me the script and I had to audition because the film, as you might have heard from the, the, the score, it's it's got everything. It has so yeah. many different genres. It's got you know current things, but kind of really timeless, very traditional, for lack of a better, better word, kind of approach to it. And everything in between, it's got drama, it's got comedy. And, and so I read the script and I met with the, the Knee Brothers, the, the directors who are just an absolute delight. <laughs> and if you had a chance to meet, we'd talk with them. Oh, you yeah. should point because they're just two of the sweetest, awesomest human beings you'll ever encounter. I met with them and then uh, over Zoom, of course, all pandemic times. And as soon as we, we hung up the Zoom, I actually wrote the opening theme. That is still in the, that is in the film. I was just so inspired because they're huge film score fans. Yeah. You know, I, I've actually, to, to this date, I haven't come across two directors who know film scores that well, that wow. are not film composers. They just yeah. have not just film scores too, but classical repertoire as well. So we could actually communicate at a level that was just so refreshing and fun because I felt like I was talking to like my composer buddies or something. <laughs> So I was really inspired to say the least. And I wrote that theme, which became my, it was called demo one for a really long time. And then I wrote four, four more demos after that. And demo four <laughs> was the, the Taha theme one, you know, the it's one, when you see the film, it'll make sense. It's basically this, this treasure that they're after. And uh, without ruining the, the film experience for you, yeah. calls out to, to Sandy throughout the film. Oh, so great. The vocal theme that kind of is, is recurring, and um, so that was my demo for <laughs> that's that I made it to the film. after I, I wrote those demos, I got hired. And then I was very fortunate to, to go to the Dominican Republic. And I was on set briefly. Wow. Uh, so I got to experience, really, really experience the film and the jungle and everything. It was, it was really wonderful. Does that um, help? Oh, absolutely. I mean, it, it becomes from this two-dimensional idea to, I mean, it's, it's a very 
visceral, really uh, powerful thing to actually to to talk to the cast, to be in the place. Yeah. And not only it's inspiring then, but also when I get the cut, there's this immediate um, callback to the feeling. Oh, I remember how it was to be there. So yeah. I really, I think um, it, it's an added level of inspiration that I love when I get a chance to do it. It must be a really, I don't know, when you when you go into it and you meet with them and you've read the script, do you know, at what point do you know how much music you need to create? Pretty much when I get the rough cut. But even yeah. then it changes because, you know, things get tightened up and, you know, moved around and whatnot. But the the rough cut was already, it was flowing so well, honestly. Uh, that's kind of when, you know, okay, yeah, we're, we're, we're good. We just need to, to fine tune things, which is very common and normal. But I, I had an idea. And sometimes the discussions about, okay, is this spot going to be needle drop or are we going to score it? That mm-hmm. kind of thing. So some minutes get adjusted that way. But overall, we, we kind of knew the map. We talked the last time as well about, um, you know, with Captain Marvel specifically, just about that, that kind of marriage between score and, and needle drops and how there needs to be a kind of, there needs to be a synergy. There needs to be a kind of connection between them. It can't kind of clunk out of one into the other sort of thing as well, which is, is such a, is, is, is one of the many kind of wonderful skills that you need to have as a, as a composer, because it's that complete selfless approach to it, really, in a way, in terms of you're creating this extraordinary music to facilitate the film, the narrative, the characters, the journey, the adventure. But then also when there are needle drops involved, you have to take that into consideration as well. You know, it's it's not about you kind of freely expressing what you want it to be. You have to take in all these different factors I guess that's something you have to learn to deal with as as you kind of the more experience you get. Was is that been something that you found, you know, quite easy and you you just realized that quite early on that that's when it comes to specific things, particularly with big films and big productions like this or Captain Marvel and stuff. You know, it's a big beast. Yeah, I mean the way I see it, I always see the film as the main melody. You know, you're serving that. You know, uh, and. I like to consider myself hopefully more as a filmmaker rather than if I just wanted to write music for my own pleasure, uh, film or any kind of media writing is not the way to go because you are definitely confined in terms of timing, in terms of where things need to happen and emotions and all that. But that is the beauty of the job that I personally love. I love actually, I think I just want to be a part of filmmaking and this is the language that I knew that could be part of filmmaking. Uh, so for me, it's never an ego thing. Oh, they chose a song instead of my score, you know, nothing like that. Yeah. And then sometimes we do things, for example, with The Lost City, Dash's theme, Dash Allen, uh, Channing Tatum's character. Yeah. Uh, so he has this, he comes out on stage during the, the book signing, you know, first appearance with the wig and everything, which you might have seen in the trailers. Yeah. He comes to uh, the final countdown. <laughs> so there's glasses. It's really funny and it's really, really funny scene. So that kind of becomes his theme. Mm-hmm. So near the end of the film, when there's kind of this hero moment, should we say, um, I actually did an arrangement of the final countdown no with the orchestra. And that kind of it really marries, okay, now we, we really own that. This is his theme, but we're bringing in the orchestra to really beef it up. And so it can, it's all about what serves the film it's yeah. not really what I you know want to write I can always do that but ideally um for me I, I get joy in watching something that I write hopefully elevate what's yeah. happening on the screen and help tell the story um in a way that wouldn't 
were talking about air at the start there. When you get into to a room like that and you hear the orchestra play, and I imagine it was a big collection of, well, I'm assuming it was a big collection of people. I don't know when you recorded it, but obviously there's been restrictions and things with COVID and stuff. But when you're in that room and you hear those musicians playing back, you know, what you've written and created, it must just be the most kind of almost elevate, you know, kind of almost kind of levitational kind of experience in a way. Absolutely. The, the Lost City we actually recorded in LA. I mean, it's hard to tell when because we've been doing them in sections. So I didn't add up the math. But <laughs> yeah. Over over 70 for sure. And I believe we had um, 30 choristers. Um, so, you know, quite a big group at the end. Mm-hmm. And, um, and it was just so, it's so great to have everyone together and you know, I mean, this is a big, big score. So it's, I don't know, it was just incredible to experience it all with them. What does the voice as an instrument allow you to do? Do you think, you know, you mentioned choristers there and there's, there, there's something that the voice as an instrument is, is, is so, um, so dynamic. I think it can, it can right. give so many different variables. I think the, the human voice goes such a long way in touching our, our soul uh, more than anything else. It's something that I've gravitated ever since my very, very, very first score years ago, mm-hmm. uh, because it's kind of a cheap trick. You know, the moment you hear that beautiful human voice come in, if you have a low budget film, go for it, <laughs> solo voice, and it'll just it'll immediately touch your soul. And with this one, the soul, the, the voice really has a character. It, it is actually one of the characters of the film. Mm-hmm. It's the treasure that they go after. And it was really important to Sandy and everyone to find the right voice. voice. So it was actually we had a funny little anecdote. Um, not funny, but I'm sure it must have been very nerve wracking for, for for our singers um, during our choir recording session. We basically auditioned the singers before we did the the choir recording. So they came in uh-huh. and we recorded the Taha theme with yeah. several vocalists and then you know our my music editor basically sent them off to sandy and everyone else and they said okay this is this one this is that one and they kind of said okay that one and then at the end of the choir session we did all the solo parts and it must must have been super nerve-wracking to basically live audition for for everyone wow um, that part but it was, it was important to make sure we have the right voice and it had to it had to have that kind of wisdom to it like yeah you know, like she's been through life and mm-hmm. pain and that kind of thing. Um, and and Barack May, who was an amazing uh, vocalist, she did the, the solo parts for that. And it was really great. That's amazing. It's a part of these. Just I think that whenever you hear a, 
yeah, the, the sort of dynamics of the, of a of a vocal is incredible. Like there's there seems to be no limitations really in terms of what you can do with the human voice. Oh, absolutely, and it, it just I think it really affects us very differently than anything else. Yeah. There are so many great projects that you have that you've been you've been working on that we we get the, t- the time to, and the the joy to experience as well. Um, I'm a big fan of Francis Lawrence. Um, I was a huge fan of the Hunger Games series. In fact, my 13 year old is just reading the books for um, for English at the minute as well. So he was telling me to shut up basically because I wouldn't stop going on about it. <laughs> but um, but you've got you're working you've you've done a project with with Francis, haven't you? For um, the Netflix film, isn't it? Which is um, uh, is it Slumberland? Can you tell us a little bit about that? Sure, it's a it's a fantasy adventure film uh, starring Jason Momoa and Marlo Barkley. It's just amazing. such an amazing film. I I don't I don't know how much I can say yeah. because they really released a whole bunch, but um, the score means a lot to me, and Francis knows this too. It's one of the the, the films that. It has a lot of personal meaning, and I'm I'm hoping that when it does come out, we'll talk so I can actually explain you more. Okay, yeah, definitely a lot more to me. But uh, the score was very special. It's got a lot of music and just uh, a lot of notes. Yeah, <laughs> a lot and of emotion. It's just fantastic. And then Shotgun Wedding as well, um, which has one of my favorite comedic actresses, Jennifer Coolidge, in there. I love oh, her so. She's so good got two Jennifers, Jennifer Lopez, Jennifer Coolidge, um, Josh Demel, Lenny Kravitz. It's an incredible cast. Wow. Um, I already finished writing that and it comes out, I believe, in the summer, July. Yeah, it's really fun. Super fun film. Does it kind of do as it says on the tin, shotgun, we- shotgun wedding, basically? Well, you'll, you'll have to see. <laughs> <laughs> You've been so busy, though. It's kind of this list of of productions that we're so, you know, for the rest of the year, we've got these great things to look forward to. What makes you kind of want to work on a project? Do you go in looking for something specific or, I don't know, tell me, is everything, is it, is it depend on, you know, where you are in terms of how busy you are or do you go out seeking things? How does it work? Oh, both. Um, I've been very fortunate. Uh, these past few projects have, have, have kind of come through me through my, my agents or people that I've worked with before I've known and 
Um, and then there'll be things, for example, it's just, I'll just see something in the trade this, and, and I'll send it to my agent. Like, Oh, I want to do that. Can we look into that? And, uh, so sometimes it's just, like I said, just people that I've known already. Mm. Um, and it's, uh, in the case of both shotgun wedding, although I, uh, shotgun wedding I got because I need the music supervisors from another project. So mm-hmm. it's always, there's a common link somewhere. But I'm, I have a bit of a musical ADD, as I call it. So I, I love being involved in different kinds of things. Uh, it's kind of uh, boring to me if I'm doing one sort of thing for a long time. I need to be kind of, I need to have that, um, that excitement and, you know, uh, puzzles to solve. So that makes me happy. And because do- documentaries are, are something you've done quite a number of, um, and very successfully as, as well. What does the world of documentary film give you as a composer? What do you like about composing for, you know, for, for the, that type of, of production and creativity? I'm actually wor- working on one right now for um, the directors that did the uh, Macmillions. They have another project. Oh, great. There are actually a couple other things that I can't really say that are super yeah. exciting. Uh, I love writing documentaries. I love watching them. Uh, yeah. I think that's sort of the other thing. Like I, I'm at a point where I would really love ideally to to score things that I love to watch. <laughs> I think that's the most honest way of going about it because if I'm going to look at something all day long <laughs> for months, it's yeah. good to watch it. <laughs> so yeah. um, documentaries, it's, it's very honest. You know, you're not really manipulating anything. You're, you're supporting it. And um, it's, uh, you know, I've done some documentaries that are just fun, not mm-hmm. necessarily heavy topics. And then, um, I actually produced and scored a film. Uh, it was about women in Afghanistan who are um, wrongfully imprisoned because of um, moral crimes. Yeah. Um, so, so that's, you know, from the fun Macmillions thing to yeah. you know, something quite heavy. So documentary, mm-hmm. you know, it's just, it, it really, really, the, the tone and everything really changes. So it's, I think for me, it's really important to be able to, to tell the stories that other people may not necessarily know about. And if I can be a part of it in some small way, um, that just feeds the, the spirit in a different kind of way. I mean, these, these big fun adventure films, they're great. They're so satisfying to write, but that fills one part of the bucket. I um, remember the last time that we, we spoke and you talked about Hans Zimmer uh, and, you know, in terms of been a fan of his and that cd that you got and um you still got it there amazing <laughs> yes brilliant um, but but so i just I'll tell you, 20 uh from 98 fall so I mean, that's 24 years 24 years still got yes. it i was gonna say but, yeah but it's got a little crack but it does not look scratched at all it's not being used as a coaster or nothing it's kind no, of no, it's always here <laughs> the crack happened in one of the moves but i mean yeah 23 years a lot of desks a lot of houses and it's been here so it's like your lucky mascot <laughs> exactly yeah <laughs> i think um I, I don't know if you know if if you you have the time to to listen and enjoy you know when when new things come out but i was lucky enough to speak to hans around um around Bond and all, but mainly talking about June, to be honest, I found it so exhilarating and, and encouraging to hear him. He's, he's so enthusiastic about what he does still considering how long he's been doing it and how many, you know, things he works on. And I know that he works with an amazing collaborator as well with people he works with, but with June, it was a very different thing for him. It was almost taking him back to the beginning 
from what it felt like for me and um, talking to him about it in that the book was so personal to him in terms of what it meant to him but it felt like because of that and because of how much it meant to him it was he needed to kind of almost prove something to himself or he needed to kind of I don't know but it just felt like this the the the, the score he did for June that everything he did for June was just so different and it's so I think kind of just lovely to see when you know, composers who have been doing been doing it for as long as he has kind of almost become childlike again through the opportunity that's presented to him. I thought I don't know if you you were a fan of the film and the score or what you thought about it, but um, but yeah, I was just his enthusiasm was infectious. I thought for it absolutely, and I think that's really the the most important thing to be able to keep that level of enthusiasm because uh, I mean that's I get so excited with every new project with everything and. Um, it's it's such a blessing to get to do to do this for a living, and then after you've had the career that Hans has had and all the different projects that that he's been involved with, I'm sure it was extra special to be in that position where he could actually pour his heart into something like that, and it definitely showed. And uh, I saw the bathrobe Oscar picture. Yeah. <laughs> that, that's awesome. That, yeah. that's, that's spot on. That's great. Um, it's so rewarding. Mm-hmm. You know, when, when, when we do what we love and then it gets recognized in some way, it's, it's, it's um, I think as close to uh, immortality as we get, right? Yeah. So I, I feel so lucky getting to do what I love and learn with every conversation I have about, you know, this amazing world. Do you, are you able to kind of, I mean, I imagine you have to be able to kind of multitask. It's one of the many things as women that we're able to do, but, you know, in terms of have different projects on the go at the one time. Absolutely. And that's, that's been something that I've had to, to learn over the years. And Mm. it's, um, there's another room in the back there. It's kind of like my war room. It's like, (laughs) it's like a serial killer. I don't know, whatever, like Like a dungeon. (laughs) dungeon. It's, I think it's just organized mind is a <laughs> really important thing. But uh, it's, that part is definitely a skill set because, you know, when we're starting out, you're so happy that you have one project. And yeah. And, you know, that's, that becomes your whole life and, um, and that's it. And now, especially since the pandemic, things have changed in terms of accessibility. We're on Zooms all the time, meetings, and, you know, for, for better or worse, we're constantly connected in, in some way. So to be able to really prioritize time and, you know, delegate accordingly uh, our mind. It's, it's important. It's a whole other skill set. Yeah. I'm, it's interesting you're saying that, but, you know, at the beginning, you're kind of, you just want to do stuff. But I imagine now you're at a point where you have to, you have to say no sometimes because you either don't have, you don't have the time. There's only one of you, you know, in terms of that's, I mean, I find saying no to things really, really hard because I love what I do. And, it must be you, you. You you're at that point where you have to you have to be be able to say no to things now. Yeah, and it's always hard because it's like because yeah, I was poor for the you know like for a long time, you know, and so you kind of have that mentality like, what do you mean I can't? I'm not. I'm going to say no to a job. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I still have the poor girl mentality sometimes, uh, but ultimately it's about hopefully being able to output my best work. I think I'm getting a little better at knowing when I can be my best. And if someone else can be better for it, then I direct them to that person. Um, and uh, it's, it's, it's really all about, I, I need to be excited. Yeah. Some, you know, why, you know, why I'm doing what I'm doing. Do you have a kind of wish list 
because I mean the the diversity of things that you've worked on so far it's it's vast a lot, lot of ticks being done there in terms of yep done that but do you have kind of you know things specific things or specific de- directors or people that you want to work with oh there there, there are many and I'm I'm going to think that I would be jinxing if I say it out yeah. loud but I would love to score something that's um I would love to score something very dark yeah. You know, like, uh, I don't know, something uh, just really, <laughs> that, that's what I'm, when I first started, those were the things that I really loved writing. Just, I always wanted to score a, a big war film, for example, you know, something yeah. like that. I would love that. And there are a lot of actors that I would love to be able to score, yeah. <laughs> you know, to be involved in. And there are a lot of directors. Um, I think that's the exciting thing. If you asked me five years ago, what I would imagine I wouldn't even be able to imagine any of the things Aww. that is happening to me. Um, and I think that's the beauty about life. So I don't know, but I'm excited to find out what happens. Yeah. It's interesting you say actors because it's also interesting hearing the different way that people work and the different, you know, when they're brought into projects, when they're made, um, you know, when they start on projects. But performance is, is important to you in terms of being able to, to I, I guess, kind of match that, you know, match that performance with, with, what you're creating it's got to fit it's it's a relationship on screen isn't it really it really is it really changes the way they breathe they move the way they look it's uh it's almost like you're dancing with them you know yeah there's a dialogue that happens and when uh when you have amazing actors on screen it's just like oh my god first of all they make my job easier but it's also just really rewarding because they're when they're at their highest level of their craft I mean, there's so much juice there, you know, it's really yeah. inspiring. That's amazing. Um, well, listen, I, um, I'm excited. To, I'm excited for, for us because we've got so much of your great work to look forward to over the next few months as well. And I do look forward to that next episode when you can talk about Slumberland in a bit more detail. So maybe we can put that in the diary for when that comes out so we can talk about that in more detail. Maybe we can get you and Francis together, actually. That would be great. Yeah. That'd be amazing. Sure we can I'll, I'll, I'll put a request in. As soon as we finish this chat, um, Pinar, it's always great to chat to you. Thank you so much for your time. And, um, and yeah, and congratulations again on that wonderful performance at the Oscars. And uh, yeah, hope to see you up there next year. <laughs> Take care, lovely. Bye. From the score to the lost city, that's hands out, butt to butt. <laughs> From the light-hearted jungle romp, the lost city.
uh, which is coming to cinemas next week. And I'm very much looking forward to taking, well, at least one of the kids to see it. Uh, we'll post a link to a Spotify playlist for this show at edithbowman.com, which is also the place to catch up with every single episode of this podcast. Please, if you haven't already as well, listen to our previous episode with Pinar because it's a phenomenal story in terms of her journey into the world of composing and just seeing the kind of full circle that she's done uh, with regards to that track, uh, No Time to Die, and her history with a particular Hans Zimmer score. It is a phenomenal and inspiring story. Uh, you can also contact and follow us on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. We are at Soundtrack in UK. It would be really lovely to uh, include some of your thoughts and opinions on some of the films that we discuss, some of the uh, the composers or the creatives that are featured on the podcast as well. So we'd very much like to incorporate your voice within the podcast. So please get in touch, as I said, either on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. We are at Soundtrack in UK. But also if you head to our website, edithbowman.com, there is a link up there where you can send us an email. So we'd love to hear from you if you feel up for it. Uh, next up, I'm really chuffed that we are continuing with the voice of female composers. And a female composer that we've been trying to get on the show for a long time. Uh, She's been talked about numerous times on the show and it was an absolute treat to get to chat to Anne Nicotin at Air Studios. We sat in one of the control booths at Air Studios last week and just chatted. And it was really nice because I think for anybody listening to this who is into film composing in any way, shape or form, particularly if you are an aspiring film composer, Anne's journey is brilliant and she's really honest about it as well. So I really hope you'll join me to uh, hear Anne talk about her journey, also working on some great films, including um, American Animals, which we loved on this show. So next up, composer Anne Nicotin joins me and I very much look forward to the pleasure of your company then. <laughs> 